welcome to the Wealthy Retailer Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Holman, and we're recording for the week of September 7th, here, or September 9th or 10th, I don't know, tenth. my date's all messed up. We're the 10th, good the deal. Week of, the week of, <laughs> The Dan. week of the 10th. Man, oh man, September just hammered onto us right away here. That long, it's uh, a short week, everyone's, you know, it is everyone's a short just throwing week. off balance in a short week. Here. Yeah, yeah, the Labor Day weekend, the, the, the Labor Day when you don't yeah. do any work. Or some of us. Well, you can't do anything because in Canada, <laughs> Labor Day, the weather drops to about five degrees uh, yes. for two or three days and then immediately bounces right back up on, on the Tuesday. Yeah. A beautiful day oh, yeah. of sunshine on Tuesday. Lots yeah. of good stuff this week, Dan. As oh, always. man, I love this. Yes. Yeah. The um, you know story about, uh, I'll say, the, the benefits and we'll call it some of the pains of, of staycation, all the products that are moving. From that, we're going to be chatting about that this week. Uh, it, it continues, and it's good to see municipalities are, are becoming more accommodating in the world of pop-up retail. What does that mean for your store? Uh, is there opportunities to expand? Dan will tell us a bit more about that. Uh, cannabis retailers continue their rapid expansion. In some provinces, it seems not to be enough. In others, maybe too much. So we'll, we'll talk about that balance. Uh, Dan's going to talk to us about cash. Everyone oh, my favorite cash. topic. Yes. If you've forgotten, cash is king, and uh, <laughs> it's good to be the king. And finally, uh, it's a battle of the buttons for the website. Uh, what button is best for your biz when it comes to e-commerce? So, yeah, a lot, yeah. lot of great, great stories here. The, the first one uh, comes to us from cbc.ca, and uh, just, you know, zeroing right in on outdoor gear, it's, it's selling out left, right, and center as uh, our, our pandemic staycations uh, uh, rise at a furious pace, um, leading to lots of retail shortages. So, Dan, tell us more about that. Yeah, boy, oh, boy, is there ever. And, and God love these re- outdoor retailers that are having an awesome, awesome year. Um, and that, you know, every cloud has a silver lining. I mean, isn't that what your mom told you or your grandma told you? Every cloud has a silver lining. Be positive. Be positive. Look for the good. Well, this is this is the good for outdoor retail. You know, this this pandemic has given us the opportunity to invest more in in our values. And I think we talked about you know core values. You know, last week or the week before, and how our values are changing. Um, and outdoor really feeds into that, you know, value equation right now. And the outdoor stores are are reeling, you know, with some great success. We talked about, you know, in this in this article with CBC, you know, they 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 spoke a lot with Brody, Matt Brody, who's who's you know one of the head merchandisers over at MEC, um, you know, about the categories that were just just in and out of stock but if you read the article this is for every single retailer out there every independent retailer don't care about the other guys only the independents here at the wealthy retailer Um, but if you listen to the message in that story and they did a great job of highlighting it one week we will have great sales because we got a shipment of new goods the next week there's nothing available again and sales plummet thank you this is the message for retail. New goods sell. Nobody walks in your store and says, hey, man, show me something from last year. It doesn't happen. Right. New goods drive sales. And in the outdoor world, you know, we live in this, 
you know, buy twice a year kind of strategy or have lived in that all the technical yeah. where, you know, we're out there buying in August for next September and it's crazy and they're shifting outdoor shifting. You know, you heard Patagonia last week talk about really reinvesting in, you know, the independent retailer in their, in their merchants, in their retailers, give them more product, get them more product. They recognize that there's opportunity right now. And we're going to go through this, this elevated, you know, focus on me, staycation type retail all the way through spring. And if you're not able to predict that in your business, you're going to miss the boat and you've got to be driving product into your store. And every conversation I have with an outdoor retailer is the same, man, oh man, I'm challenged to get inventory. I can't find inventory. I can't yeah. find inventory. <sighs> can't find it because you're looking in the same old, same old. So looking you know, to next spring, when, when you think timeline, you know, one of the questions that goes into my head, Dan, is, is of course, dollars have shifted, right? You're not going to yeah. Hawaii. You're not doing that. So it's, it's going into these staycations. Do you think this massive shift has happened and, and a big chunk of it's here to stay? And, and by that, meaning that it's driven a new happiness factor that, geez, you know, I, I'm loving this more. And, and yeah. it's not going to be just next spring, but this, this is going to continue for some time. You know, in, in the province that we're in, in Alberta, you know, we've got this, you know, 38 days of really fabulous weather to look forward to every year. Um, and, and we're exploring, you know, I think, um, I don't remember who it was that spoke about, you know, the Kananaskis, you know, hiking trails and yeah. the trailheads that have been dead for years are now, you know, the parking lots are overflowing and you continue to look for that next trailhead, next trailhead, next trailhead to go hiking. And um, I, I think we found the diamonds in our own backyard. Right. I think yeah. I can speak, you know, personally, a guy that, that travels a couple hundred days a year, how much I miss travel, but also how much I've enjoyed exploring, you know, my own backyard. Yep. And literally, in some cases, my own backyard. And I think that that's, that's here to stay. You know, I, I think that I read yesterday, uh, airline travel in the United States is running at 40% capacity over last year. Okay. You know, here, so here we are eight or nine months into this thing, eight months into this thing, and travel in the U.S. has returned to about 40% of what it was a year ago. Canada, we're still, you know, running down in that 18 to 22%. And I think it's going to stay that way. You know, I, and I'm, I'm happy to see that. And we're going to see people invest more in outdoor more in themselves, more in home. This is going to be the best holiday we've had, holiday period for retail that we've had in a very long time. If you're in, if you're in home and gift, boy, oh boy, I, I hope you bought right. Buckle up. Yep. Buckle up. Well, when those borders do finally reopen, uh, we might be able to uh, take a little journey down to uh, Miami. And our next mm. story comes uh, from mm. MiamiTodayNews.com. It's, it's something where it's echoing around, around the country where they're talking about becoming much more flexible in, uh, uh, you know, their zoning and their retail opportunities for pop-up retail, be it, be it nonprofits or the arts or retail or, or even restaurants. Um, with, with these types of uh, uh, changes and that new flexibility, Dan, what, what type of opportunities do you see this presenting for, for our uh, small local retailers? Well, I think this gives us the opportunity to put our toes in the water instead of jumping, you know, head first. I think this gives us an opportunity to sample our marketplace, you know, 
let's get proof of concept here. Let's go do a pop-up, you know, across town in a neighboring city or a neighboring town, and let's try it. This idea of short-term pop-up retail is not new. You'll remember, you know, back in December, January, we had Steve Brooks, you know, who is the pop-up expert. I mean, this guy has built a world-renowned business on the pop-up retail model. Um, and, and this opportunity that the pandemic for us has created, you know, in short-term pop-up retail means that every single retailer now has the opportunity to test expansion. And the ones that have long thought about being, you know, perhaps in a mall, I'd never understand why, but perhaps thought about being in a mall, now there's an opportunity to go and do a 30, 60, 90-day stint in a mall and test the traffic, test the water, test the rates, test your factors, you know, or across town. I mean, if you look at every downtown core in Canada right now, boy, there's lots of opportunity to, to pop up a shop. And landlords, you know, are probably going to become more and more open to lower investment, yep. short-term leases. They're not going to spend 150 grand or 75 bucks a foot, you know, building out your space for you to exit quickly. Right, right. Be a little creative on that front. Well, if you didn't yeah. like your lease rates up here from this story, they talked about it was three hundred dollars a square foot. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's they're, no they're question. Get down to a couple hundred. You know, there's and, no, and we're going to see that in different areas. You know, we see certainly elevated, you know, lease rates in those hot retail pockets across the country. But here we are, northern Alberta. You know, our retail rates are going to soften a little bit, which is good for retail. It good, and it's good. It's good to test the water. Yep. When, when you think about testing the water, Dan, uh, you know, I'm a small local retailer. I, I like the idea. There's an area of town we're not in. I want to expand there. When it comes to your team and, and kind of that dividing your own team, because you obviously you got to send some leadership over there to, to help run it. What, what's your experience with that with some of the retailers you worked with? You know, I think that we always see a bit of attrition when we try to split our team up and send, and, and depending on distance, you know, we're not going to have a store in Edmonton, Alberta, and drive south three or three and a half hours to Calgary, yeah. you know, every day with an employee, or, you know, we're going to have to hire a team that's specific to that, to that location. And, you know, I, I, I believe in the power of, of local. I believe in the power of community. I'm going to hire somebody from within that community right. and I'm going to bring them into my fold, you know, let them adopt, adapt to our values and then re-represent that in, in that neighboring community or opportunity. So certainly, you know, we have to be careful not to split teams, not to, you know, assume that someone wants to leave the comfort of the home that you've created for them yeah. to go find something else or go work something else. Do you think you that's know? one of the bigger barriers to um, that, be it fear or, or just that's the, probably one of the bigger things holding a small retailer back from, from taking that pop-up step? Yeah, a lot, of, a lot of small retailers, while they got into this, you know, world that's riddled with risk and mediocrity they 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 fear risk you know and they bring every excuse possible I say, I say to a retailer I said to a retailer yesterday you know maybe it's time we open another door I mean it's like I had three heads yeah you know are you <laughs> crazy 
listen, it's not a bad idea. This is the time to look at expansion. There will be opportunity. And if your vision sees more doors, now's the time to start looking at that opportunity. You know, we've seen through this last six months, we've seen retailers close doors and open doors. You know, there is a mix. And that retailer that's prepared to take a little bit of risk and not use excuse, you know, to prevent growth, they're going to they're going to see some great opportunities right on right on okay well folks uh, reminder this podcast is brought to you by canadian retail solutions they're here to listen and help you with the retail solutions to make your store more successful from the latest point of sale software to merchandise intelligence with open to buy plans and more let them help you find your cutting edge retail solution today uh, be sure to visit retailbycrs.com Okay, um, our next story, we're talking about the, uh, the world of cannabis growth in uh, Canada. Uh, there's, a, there's a quote in the story that uh, Ontario is Canada's most populous province and is home to 158 stores as of the end of August. Sounds like a lot, but it's very low on a per capita basis, about one every 92,000 residents. In comparison, our great province here in Alberta has 515 <laughs> stores which translates to one for every 8,500 people. Yeah. Uh, Dan, what's, what's your thoughts on the state of expansion <laughs> hey, in the world of cannabis? This is, this is not because Albertans are so in love with cannabis. This is purely because... We are Albert- home to Tommy Chung. Uh, we are uh, home to Tommy Chung. <laughs> here in Edmonton. <laughs> I'm just going to throw out a Chicha Chong reference, but I'm going to hold off. <laughs> Don't go there, Dan. Don't go uh, no. there. Hey man, what's that? No, I'm not. Listen, this is not because we are, you know, the the great cannabis community of the country. It's because Alberta is an entrepreneurial province, the only entrepreneurial province. Ontario is lagging so far behind because they are not an entrepreneurial province. They're not an entrepreneurial government. They are a union-driven province. They are a government-owned province when you look at beer and liquor i mean you know i've long had this this aggravation with ontario you know you don't if you work the night shift you ain't getting a beer after work you know right, you right. can't buy it I, you, no really no off-site sales manitoba is a little bit softer on that and we're gonna see you know some cannabis opportunity there but let's just talk about why do we have so many cannabis stores let's you know let's answer how do we have so many what what would be seen would seem to be successful liquor stores beer and liquor stores you know and and what happens when we when we open our marketplace up to the entrepreneurial spirit we get great experiential stores you know if you've ever spent any time in an lcbo store liquor control board of ontario retail store you know, they're better than they used to be, right? but they pale in comparison to a, you know, to a great cannabis store right now. And, and what we're building here in Alberta, you know, mimics or mirrors what we're seeing in, in the states that, that came out two and three years ago and recognize that, wait a minute, I need to build a better retail store. I need to build a better environment for people to, you know, learn, explore, sample whatever you know cannabis and it's going to continue to expand you know when the when when 
when we get back to measuring performance, you know, these other provinces are going to be looking at Alberta and going, holy crap, how are these guys doing it? How are they generating, you know, that kind of tax revenue, that kind of revenue, that kind of dollar? How can they have, you know, one store for every 8,500 people? Is that too many? Maybe, maybe, but, Hard to, you know, you know the we'll world, call the, the herd. The beverage side of it hasn't even really exploded yet. And, no. And, uh, so that'll be, be very And when you look at companies that are really good, you know, good merchants, you look at Alcana, really solid merchant, scooping up smaller independent, you know, beer and liquor stores, they're good merchants. Yeah. You know, they've got good locations. They know where they want to be. They're doing a little better job than, you know, other provinces have done. I mean, Nova Scotia, probably one of the worst provinces anywhere for beer and liquor sales and will lag in cannabis, you know, two years behind, right. you know, where the entrepreneurial provinces live. So what do you think happens with, you know, Alberta, there's 515 stores. I don't know the exact number, but I'm going to guess there's probably 250 brands with, yep. within that number, a lot of mom and pop type individual stores. Yes. Yep. It, do they, should they be eyeing up now, Dan? Like, okay, you need to, it's not just the experience. It is your brand too. And, and we're going to quickly get to a world where one's not going to cut it. I'm not saying you have to have a hundred locations, but you should start thinking about what can I do to get to five or six locations right. under one really good brand? What are your thoughts there? Yeah, you absolutely have to look at growth. You have to be forecasting that growth forward. Certainly economies of scale are going to play into this. You know, the more doors I can get open, smaller footprint doors, you know, the more revenue or the more market share I'm going to own. And, you know, again, you know, we lean harder on that neighborhood store. I may not drive downtown to go to that cannabis store yeah. when I've, you know, when I've grown to, you know, appreciate and like the guy that's in my community, you know, and that, and that the power of community, I'm going to go see Matt, you know, Hey, you want to try something? You want to try baking? You want to do this? You want to do that? Go see my friend, Matt, you know, he's, he's around the corner. Is that a good thing or a bad thing? Well, in Canada today, you know, I mean, I think our judgment is gone. Cannabis is legalized. It's no different than beer or wine. You got to embrace it. You can't, you know, you can't. Um, Still that little bit of that transition period of, like you say, yeah. it was it was illegal not too long ago and, and right. more the norm of, right. of of everything. So, yeah, um, yeah, it's going to be going to be interesting to watch that. Like you say, the uh, yeah. I, I yeah. your view where Alberta really doesn't get in the way of, of entrepreneurism and, and just take we go don't. and we'll let the open market right dictate where this happens. It should only be 400 stores in, in Alberta. Right. And maybe that's where we're going to land. And, you know, maybe we shouldn't have more than 70% of the stores north of Red Deer, but right. we're going to figure it out. It's the marketplace will dictate, you know, growth or contraction, expansion and contraction. And, and we as a government should not be trying to control that but rather allowing that entrepreneurial spirit. You know, they're controlling product no different than what we would see in any other province. Yeah. You know, I've got to buy it from the same place as the guy next door um, or different, you know, suppliers that are controlled, but it's, it's service. Service trumps all. Yeah. Unless you happen to have cash. 
Oh, my gosh. If you have cash, you are the queen. Dan, in our 12 steps to retail success, you talk about cash. Cash is king. Tell us a bit more about that. Yeah, we talk about this all the time. Cash is king or cash is queen in your store. You know, the true definition of profitability in retail does not come from IMU, MMR, EBITDA, uh, (laughs) you know, earnings before interest tax and adjustments. You know, it doesn't come from net income before tax or NIBIT. It doesn't come from any crazy acronym that we've learned or been schooled along the way. It comes from cash. Cash comes from having the right inventory at the right time in the right categories in your store and recognizing that the power I have to generate cash is to turn inventory. Too many retailers struggle with, struggle with, you know, marking down goods or turning dollar turning shirts into dollars you know dresses into twenty dollar bills you know you can't have brown bananas hanging in your store if a if a bright you know yellow ripe banana is worth a buck how much is a brown faded banana worth it's not unless you're my mom making banana bread it's not worth anything and retailers seem to forget you know they the Cash is what makes my store go around. Too many people that I talk to, too many educated retailers hammer me with the power of their GMROI. And gross margin return on investment is a fictitious number. It does not drive cash in your business. I can have a really high GMROI and still not generate enough cash to pay my expenses. You know, we've got to look at the generation of cash in your business. And no matter, I, I mean, I sound like this greed monger all the time when I'm talking about cash, but it is the secret sauce in retail that too many retail, that eludes too many retailers. They don't recognize how to generate cash and the power of generating cash. Somewhere along the way, their accountant has trained them about cost of goods sold. It's a bullshit number. doesn't mean anything in retail anymore. It's not about cost of goods sold. It's about your cost of purchase. How do I control my cost of purchase to generate cash margin, not gross margin? And I have this argument, this ongoing argument, with a good friend of mine all the time. He's an accountant all the time. I'm like, yeah, yeah, you know, your white paper profit's fabulous, but it doesn't mean I've got any cash in the bank. Yep. We look at things like cash accounting, like like farmers in the day, man. That's how they looked at their business. This is what I generate in revenue. This is what it cost me to buy inventory. Here's what I got left over to pay my operating expenses. And that is pure cash. Growing cash in your store means that you're recognizing the power of open to buy. Using open to buy dollars, open to buy, the dollars left to fill in a category. Not a store, not a vendor, but a category or a classification. Every class in your store sells on its own merit, on its own curve. And we've got to feed some classes that need more inventory that are generating positive cash and starve other classes. You know, we don't, we're not socialists here. We're not looking to save the, the starving children in our store. We're looking to feed the fat kids, you know, feed the hungry. And it comes by recognizing, you know, where I should be applying open to buy dollars every single month because open to buy dollars, the creation of that opportunity to buy generates more cash. Well, I'm going to get crazy here, man. <laughs> oh, geez. Why? 
I remember a conversation with my accountant. He, he told me, he said, Rob, there's three. No, what did he say? There's three types of accountants. There's good ones and there's bad ones. <laughs> okay. So anyways, uh, on to our... <laughs> Take that back for every account that we that love back, to yeah, death out yeah. there. <laughs> uh, my guy, he's an outgoing account. I, I caught him staring at my shoes once. <laughs> Our next story, uh, this comes from the Shopify.com. It's their blog, so we, we know the yep. bias in, in this headline, but uh, it, it, uh, this, this is a, uh, about the buttons, you know, chasing those dollars and cents. And uh, Shopify says, if you use anyone other than Shopify payments, you are giving up dollars in order to chase those cents. Dan, right. what are your thoughts on this story? You know, I'm, I, again, you know, we're going to take this where it's written from. It is a Shopify blog, but they make some really valid points. Um, you know, I think their rate today on a, on a decent paid plan, 70 or 80 bucks a month, you know, it's about 2.7% collection plus 30 cents a transaction. And too many of us are getting caught up chasing, you know, a quarter of a percent or, you know, four basis points to try to lower that merchant fee. I'm not saying, you know, run willy nilly, but I'm saying their, their argument, their position absolutely has merit. If they're converting more shoppers, you're generating more cash. And here we go. Let's just go back to the previous conversation about the power of cash. You know, Shopify, um, you know, claims they have claims. I may be, I shouldn't have said it like that. Uh, claims they have a higher conversion rate. Claims that they have um, um, more recovery opportunity than the other big three commerce platforms or shopping cart platforms. You know, they've got a lower baseline in payments. They have no hidden fees. I can talk, I mean, here we are in the point of sale world. You know, we have conversations with 20 payment processors a week. Right. And you know, who should we be using and who shouldn't we using? We've strategically aligned ourselves with, you know, two signature payment processors, maybe three, I should say, you know, Shopify being a payment processor on their platform. You know, we're looking at, you know, where do these payment processors live? What are the hidden fees? What are they charging our retailers, you know, to connect to our point of sale systems? And Shopify has been very good at being transparent. They are very, very transparent. You know, their conversion rates are about 1.5 times higher than the baseline. You know, baseline numbers are, are published and produced. Baseline numbers come from Woo, Big, uh, Magento, you know, all these other shopping cart platforms. Yeah. And there are retailers that are out there that spend, you know, spend 100 grand to improve their checkout process. And Shopify brings that down to the independent for us. You know, if they can improve our conversion rate by one and a half times, what does that mean in cash flow? And why am I chasing, you know, a quarter of a percent? You know, any, there's any no sense of why you feel that they're able to have a better conversion rate. Well, I think that they've made that process easier. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, yeah. man. Oh man, make the checkout process clean and simple, make it seamless, make it easy. You know, when Shopify recognizes me as a shopper, I check out with a click, right? Yeah. When I'm on another platform, I go through, you know, you've been on these, you've been on sites, Rob, where you've got to go through the form fill. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Fill out these 20 fields. You're hoping your computer remembers all your, your data for you. <laughs> right. Yeah, right. Which is probably the most, yeah. you know, 
insecure place or unsecure place to be. You know, <laughs> on, your computer fill. remembering. <laughs> Come on, fill my credit card number. You know, <laughs> fill my passwords here. But but you know, Shopify has come up with ShopPay, you know, with recognizing their shoppers and and changing that process, that, you know, checkout process to be better. And you know what? I, I love that they're out here tooting their own horn and saying, you know, I, I do a better job chasing char- chargebacks for you. You know, yeah. chargebacks are one of the biggest deterrents in e-commerce, right? It's, it's easy for me to say, I didn't, I didn't make that ch- charge. I didn't. Yep. I didn't buy that. What, and what they kind charge of numbers back. are those these days, Dan? Like what? We're seven. I think the number is seventeen percent of all purchases online are pushed back onto the retailer as a chargeback. Just fully disputed. Yeah. And, yeah. and that leaves the the retailer out both both money and and product. Yeah. And you know, Shopify. I think the baseline, if I remember correctly, the baseline is about a twenty percent win for the merchant so the merchant wins one in five chargebacks right and shopify runs you know at about you know 35 or 37 percent in their chargebacks they have you know they have an automated dispute process or dispute response i think they call it um and it and it's using shopify if you use shopify payments they're protecting you and if you've ever used shopify or or look at a shopify platform every single sale comes through with fraud analysis on it every single sale and they're going to say hey the risk of fraud is a little higher here do some homework or this, this charge, this, this checkout, you know, doesn't resemble anything that we've seen in fraud. We, uh, I think, it, geez, probably over a month, maybe even two months ago, there was a story about Shopify on the, I'll, I'll just ask the question, when do we refer to them more as a bank versus an e-commerce platform? Uh, what, what are your thoughts there looking ahead? <sighs> I mean, this is, this is the power of the entrepreneurial spirit. You know, they recognize that, and this is, you know, certification in Canada, you know, there is a chunk of data that flows that has to be encrypted. And when you use these third-party plugins or third-party connectors or bridges between your debit machine and the payment processor, you know, we end up being challenged. And so it's not that these guys, yes, they want the revenue, no question, that's part of their development, but but they're they're creating a secure checkout that doesn't require another bridge that costs a significant amount of money. I can tell you, you know, bridges for us with with many payment processors, you know, run in the uh, double digit every month and triple digit a year. So we're paying hundreds of dollars per year for a bridge, and then we're paying a monthly fee for that bridge, and. You know, we sometimes ignore those those costs where Shopify is very upfront with it. And so I'm going to say, you know, they're they're doing what they need to do and tooting their own horn. They're doing a good job, whether I like it or not, whether I believe they're a bank or not a bank. They're doing a good job. And they're I Canadian, wish their service so we, was better. We got to root them, root them on yeah, for we, that. We got to love them. <laughs> Too bad they chose Ottawa, but you know. <laughs> uh... Okay, well, we'll have the link to that story in uh, this week's newsletter. If you haven't yet, be sure to head to retailbycrs.com, folks, to sign up. Uh, in addition to today's stories that we discussed, there will be, uh, be links for additional stories 
We've got uh, one talking about, uh, you know, the, the getting battle ready for, for more disruption. You know, we've been through significant, but always more to come and uh, uh, getting ready for that. The benefits of retail investing uh, in the community, a story about a mall, what they've done, and, and uh, I'll say the rewards they've reaped from it. Uh, we've got a story on a retailer who discusses the uh, the benefits of their mystery box sales program. Yeah. So that was kind of fun. And uh, a story about a store selling, if you can believe this, one item. So talk about creating a different experience for, for their customers. We'll have that link and uh, and more. You know, folks, thanks for joining us on the Wealthy Retailer Podcast. Again, it's brought to you by Canadian Retail Solutions. Remember, at their core, they believe in having real and relevant relationships, offering solution-based sales and services, maintaining a client-centered bottom line focus, and providing credible and complete care. Remember, folks, they exist to make retailers better. Yeah, and if you want to chat retail, if you want to talk retail, you know, no obligation, no cost, just to talk, head over to thewealthyretailer.com, grab a slot in my calendar, and let's spend 15 to 30 minutes together and chat. And, and yes, absolutely sign up for our podcast on your favorite podcast platform. Share it out there uh, to your friends and neighbors, and, and uh, let us know if there's anything that uh, you'd like us to cover in an upcoming podcast. Right on. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Rob. Appreciate it, man. Have a great week.